What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Oh, Glenn, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was just out there training. Where have you been? I was out there training my dog. What took you so long? Well, we were doing this particular scenario Mm -hmm. where we were using a hard dog chomp. Yep. I got that from Canon Dynamics, by the way. From old mate Mark LaPointe? Mark LaPointe, yep. yeah. I got uh, I get a lot of my working dog equipment from him. He really flogs some good stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Canon Dynamics. Yeah. And then my dog was attached to a leash and collar. Where did you get that from? I got that from Mindswick Dog Quip. Not the old buff head. I got it from Jason. Oh. <laughs> okay. Mindswick Dog Quip. Mindswickdogquip.com. And, and it all went perfectly. Yep. So... I had to reward the dog. I'm I, very interested. Well, aside from the bites on the chomp, mm-hmm. but, you know, for other things, yep. I gave the dog some Bright's Bites. Oh, good call. Yeah, Bright's Bites. You really are a name dropper, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you've got the best of the three. You've got the golden triad right there. Absolutely. Mm. If you want, you know, if you're in North America and you want working dog equipment, yep. Canon Dynamics. Yep. If you're in Australia and you want any kind of dog equipment, Einswick Dog Quip. And if you're going to use dog treats... You're crazy if you're feeding your dog anything other than bright spots. Absolutely. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hey, how you doing? How are you? Good. I think that was great that we had a couple of really good episodes where we've had some good guests on. Yeah. Good range of topics. Mm-hmm. It's a fun one with Cameron and Jerry. Yeah, it? yeah, it really was. And the good thing is, a few people have asked for some extension on Cam's cognition test. Mm-hmm. So he has indicated because he sent me a couple of files during the week. He has indicated that he'd like to come back on and talk more about some of his cool. subjects, which will be great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I'd love to have him on the show because when I advertised in the forum that we had a bit of a blank day. You know, what would people like us to talk about? That was a subject matter. So I can happily say that at some stage we'll get Cam back on and uh, he can fill you in about how that actually works because he's obviously one of the authorities on it. Yeah. Mm. When the world gets back to working again, I'd love to have him come to Australia. Yeah, Cameron, absolutely. We want you out here. Yeah. Only who knows, God knows when that's going to be. Yeah. Well, I think there's been a lot of interest for that type of consideration and that oh, type yeah. of training matter. So yeah, I think there'll be a lot of people that yeah. want to come out for sure and get involved in that. Hey, something I want to say, because mm. listeners are sort of all over the world. I think a lot of people don't know that Australians are currently banned from travel. So yeah. we can't leave Australia. Mm. Like not allowed to by yeah. our government. Yeah. Not even to our own states at the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of states you can transfer in between. And, and I think that'll open up very, very quickly that we'll be able to move around internally. Mm. But right now, this is why I've had people sort of wanting to book stuff. And, um, you know, the stuff that I do have booked and, and things that are meant to happen overseas, we're kind of up in the air at the moment because we don't know when we're going to be able to travel again. And it's not that it's like... We don't want to. Yeah, we are not allowed. All Australians mm. are banned from travel, and yep. to to get out of the country, you have to get a special travel exemption, and it can only be for critical work. And yeah, so they're definitely not allowing me to travel. 
So at this point, I think the first country that we'll be allowed to travel to will probably be New Zealand yeah. and some of the local islands, but that will be it until probably next year. Yeah. That's what they're saying. So we don't know. We're not authorities on this, but reading between the lines, I doubt that we'll be getting out of the country until 2021. Yeah. Hard to tell. I'm, Hard to tell. What I'm really hoping is that they open up for business travel. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'll be able to go to events that I already have and we'll probably have to do quarantine when I get back. Yep. And I'm, I'm down for that. But anyway, we don't know. We don't know. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Only time will tell. Hey, but what I do know, and this was a question asked on the forum, what a supernova is. <laughs> so <laughs> did you ask is, your mum this? No, I did not. This is according to science. So I'm going to read it to you because people have been plaguing me about this. This is one of those dolphin questions that you often get thrown. I've been hounded by people about every time I have a chat with them online or something like that, I get, hey, have you learned what a supernova is? So here's what a supernova is. Having too much matter causes a star to explode, resulting in a supernova. As the star runs out of nuclear fuel, some of its mass flows into its core. Eventually, the core is so heavy that it cannot withstand its own gravitational force. The core collapses, which results in a giant explosion of a supernova. So that's not what my mum told me a supernova was. <laughs> right. I love you, mum. What did she say it was? Not that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I can't remember exactly what it was, but all I remember is vehemently fighting for her honor because she's my mum. She mm-hmm. told me, and you know, when you're a kid, your mum and dad are the smartest people that you know, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're your first heroes in life. So mm-hmm. I was blindly following what my mum told me. Remember there was that old TV ad for the internet. Remember it was the, the guy telling his kid that Emperor Nazi Gore yeah, yeah, built yeah, the yeah. Chinese wall to keep the No, that was out. for Telstra. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, Telstra, yeah. Yeah. It built the, the, the Great Wall of China was built to, to keep, keep the rabbits, rabbits out. <laughs> <laughs> By Emperor Nazi Gorang. But the, the funny the part of here. that, the hilarious part of it was you see that like that little actor kid played it so well because the teacher announces him and says, okay, this little kid's going to tell us what the Great Wall of China is built for. And you can see like he's so enthusiastic <laughs> to tell the tale of what his dad had told him. Like he's, his own hero had fulfilled what this actually was. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd laughed for years watching that ad. Yeah. I still think about it. It's a goodie. I actually say it to the staff sometimes. Like they'll say, you know, why was that put there? And I'll say, oh, it's to keep the rabbits out. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just look at me and go, what? Silly old man. Yeah, it's one of those old ads that people, if you haven't seen it, you don't know. Yeah. And we just lost half our audience talking about a peculiar Telstra ad from 15 years ago. We did. Clever ad. So you put up a post because we had uh, something lined up for today that fell through. And so we had free time. Mm. What do y'all want to hear about? Yep. Y'all. Y'all. So some cool things in the post there, mm, but uh, you want to talk about this one? We got it via a PM, so I won't identify the person because she PM'd us. And yeah. So I guess she didn't want to write it publicly, but we do like the topic. Mm, the topic is good, and I don't think it's something that we've covered extensively on here. So maybe it's a good one that we can talk about. Mm. And if we've got time, maybe there's some other subjects we can pull up as well. Mm-hmm. So leaving out some of the personal details, we'll say a week and a half ago, I was bitten on the hand by a dog I lived with. Mm. I've lost the top of my dominant hand's middle finger and there's damage to my ring finger on the same hand. Yep. It was an awful experience mentally and physically. My request is for a discussion regarding dog bites, specifically recovering physically and mentally after one, mm. but also perhaps how to avoid getting hurt if you have to break one up. And then she goes on to ask for birdie, which we could not provide today. And then she says later, so how to avoid getting bitten? If I didn't explain it, the incident happened after my housemate's dog 
tried to attack my dog. The dogs are usually kept separate and the yard's secure, but just by chance she escaped. So my questions are in regards to bites relating to dog fights. Mm. You know, the first thing that jumps out to me there. What's that? Is that like, it's, it's as we always say it, is that inevitably, like on a long enough timeline, management fails. Yep. Right? Like people who have dogs that you know, don't get along or whatever, and, and you separate them and you just think, well, we're not going to fix this and we're just going to manage it and mm. we'll like, you know, create and rotate sort of thing. That can be fine for a really long time, but I think it's kind of on a long enough timeline, management eventually always fails. People make mistakes, you know, equipment wears out, equipment fails, yep. those sorts of things. It's kind of the inevitable end, right? And, and for people who say, no, like I've had two dogs that hated each other and we created rotator for their whole lives and there was never an incident. You say, well, you got lucky, right? Like that the timeline. But there's the exception enough. to the rule in, yeah. in many cases. Yeah. And often when when you're talking about that, I often think about the original Jurassic Park, the first movie they ever made when they talk about the containment of the velociraptors. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Goldblum as the actor asked the old Aussie hunter guy, you know, are they intelligent? And he said, oh, yeah, they're always testing the weakness in the cage and, you know, like one's hitting one end and one's hitting another one all the time. Yep. This is the nature of animals to do things like this, especially if accidentally they indicate a weakness one day. You mm. know, they'll play on that and play on it. It's why dogs manage to, if they accidentally escape from a cage one day, it's why they work on it and work on it and work on it like a puzzle box. It's not that they're possessing any extreme cognitive intelligence way beyond what we think. It's just it was an accident that happened one day and they just think to themselves, well, now there's a weakness there. I've just got to continue working on this because i got nothing else to do. You know, I'm sitting inside this cage or I'm inside this yard. I've got nothing better to do than run this fence or hit this gate. And when I figure out the mechanism that opens it, hey, presto, I'm going to get better and better at it. Yeah. You know, and which is fundamentally the measurement of intelligence anyway, is that if you can shorten a behavior, that's how you measure intelligence to see how you can actually do a, a series of behaviors or a single behavior and then shorten the time frame it takes to do it. Yeah. I think as well, you can't discount a dog's, persistence in Mm. destroying something when there's nothing else to do. Absolutely. So take Remy's dad, Jack, for example, right? Like the crates in my car were built. They're ridiculous. Yeah. They are so- They could could hold a grizzly bear. They are so overboard and they're the the same gauge steel as the kennels at my house, right? Like I could keep a Raptor in those things. There's no way. Like it is the most over-the-top ridiculous kennels. I can vouch for it. Yeah. Mm. But- they were built with Jack in mind because yep. he would get out of stuff. And it wasn't that he was a problem dog and he wasn't a destructive dog. It was that he enjoyed it. It yep. was a thing to do. Yep. So when he was in a crate, he would begin the puzzle solving process, mm. right? And it probably only, I know when it started, it started when we were doing, he was in a wire crate, like a shitty normal wire crate one time. Yep. And he heard another dog doing bite work and was like, hey, I like bite work and just, just tore it open and came flying out and was there ready to work, right? And so- he had the jackpot mm. from tearing a crate apart. It got to the point where with Jack, you could just recall him out of a crate. Like if he was in a normal wire crate, what most people would consider like an effective containment sort of thing, yep. he would stay in there so long as you told him to stay in there. And then you could go like, hey, Jack, come here. And he'd just tear it apart in seconds, like monster through it and be like, hello. <laughs> like, guess what? I, that may as well have been a place board, not a crate because I could have got out at any minute. But he had that success on what was probably an easy win for him. And I think, you know, that led to bite work because he had no choice but to catch the bite that he was coming out to give me. Mm. And so he was persistent in doing that. And then 
when the guys that built the kennels for me were like, wow, you must deal with some really like dangerous dogs. I was like, well, not really, but he's in here for extended periods. He has nothing else to do. That's right. So he like enjoys Idle the hands of the devil's tools. Yeah. And he mm. like, so talk about like dopamine jackpot. Mm. He had first rep, he had the giant jackpot of yep. getting it. And so he is going to be persistent in trying to find the weakness and all the time. And it's not, you know, like I say, he would break out of things just, for the sake of it. It yep. had nowhere to go. Mm. It was just the process of this is enjoyable to me. I break out of it. Yeah. Which is funny, right? So with him in mind, I had those crates built. And then I've had a daughter of his didn't do the same, although she was pretty destructive. And then I got Remy and like Remy's never tried to get out of a crate once in his life. When he was a puppy, he did, of course. And he scarred up his nose pretty bad. He sleeps in the crate. Never, not at all like his dad. His dad, if you had to keep like a barrier around the crate. You couldn't have anything anywhere near it or he mm. would put somehow, like he would use his tongue. He would poke his tongue out wow. as far as he could yep. to get like your bag strap or whatever it was and then he'd pull it up against it and he would destroy that if he could or he would use it to create leverage to pull the door in on itself because a Damn. lot of doors are designed to, you know, the dog is going to push it out. Mm. So their strength is in the pushing out way. Well, Jack would then try and get something to use as leverage to pull it in because yep. they're less strong that way. And um, Remy doesn't do any of that shit. Isn't that funny? Like, so I was prepared for it. I was like, okay, getting a Jack son, going to have to deal with all that, and he doesn't do any of it. Better to have it and not need it than to need oh, it and yeah. not have it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and with how, those how candles, tenacious of that dog, though? Oh, he did. I mean, that was his thing. Wild. That was his thing. Like, so that was when you put him in a crate, he go, he would then go, okay, now I begin the puzzle. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and like I say, there were plenty of times where he would get out of the crate and then just hang around in the crate room, like, mm. and not even destroy the other things that were in the crate room. He just would get out and be like, I did it. I got out of the, the crate. Right. So I think that if he were a dangerous dog in, you know, with another dog, if there were aggression issues in the house and that sort of thing, it would be almost impossible to keep him in because eventually he will figure it out. And it's, you know, you see this in like, when you see, you talk to people who have ever been to real life people jail, right. Yep. Or, or you watch documentaries or whatever on it. Some of the really genius things, the way that they smuggle drugs into jail and the way that they have, they get things done in jail that they're not meant to do. Yeah, and, and get out of them. Yeah, and you look at it and you go, holy shit, like mm. these people are legit geniuses. How'd you figure yep. that out? And you go, they got nothing else to do all day. Yeah. Like that's what they're thinking about. They all study pattern behavior. Day. Yeah. yeah. They got all that time to figure that yeah. out. And then, so the dog is doing the same, but they'd add on to the like people aspect as they can coach each other. So on, so your cellmate who's been in for eight years, he can catch you up in a day, mm. right? And then you get to start learning from there whereas a dog has to they all have to start at zero unless yep. there's some mimicry and they can watch the other dog right so yeah dogs get out of crates and shit you yeah be they absolutely do very good points especially about the whole jail system because there's been so many shows about impenetrable and escape proof jails that people have escaped through yeah and literally as you said they've just studied the system they've just you know they've studied behavior they've watched guard rotations and you know you're talking about years of studying and just watching what's going on and communal discussion around it. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. At the army base, when I was there, we had two dogs that had to be padlocked in their kennels because mm. uh, they could figure out how to open the latches, different yep. types of latches on the front and the back. They had to actually be physically locked in there. One of them actually had to have a roof put on his kennel. Same deal. Like actually Chevy, we were sitting around the brew room one day and like, you know, been training, sitting around having coffee and Chevy just rocks in. It's <laughs> like, hey, everybody, <laughs> like, how did you get out of your kennel? We never figured it out. The doors were shut. 
Couldn't figure it? No, had no idea how he got out. Mm. And I put him in there. So it wasn't like, it's not like we could say some, oh, somebody just didn't put him away properly. No, it was me. I And okay. he just rocked in. And like, again, fortunately, he's a super social dog. He was like, where's mm. my coffee, you fuckers? <laughs> <laughs> but just rocked in. Hey, what's going on? There was a guy that, this is quite a few years ago back in Melbourne when I was living there and training dogs full time. And uh, a Greek bloke, he rang me up one day and he said, look, you know, I've got this German Shepherd. He's in the back of my garden. And, you know, he said, I've got all plants and veggies and everything growing there. I don't want the dog run around. So I've built him a really nice enclosure. And he goes, but, you know, I've come home a few times and the dog's out and he's trashed my backyard. And he said, can you come around and have a look? And I said, sure. So I went around, had a look, lovely home, lovely back garden, you know, huge big area. And he's, you know, him and his wife have growing all their fruit and veg and everything like that. And he's saying to me, oh, you know, this is the damage the dog did. And he's taking me around. He's taking me around the corner and showing me the dog run he's built for this dog. Looked like the dog Acropolis. It was just <laughs> magnificent. And I'm not insulting him. I'm actually complimenting yeah. him. It was a, it was lovely. Like it was, it was a magnificent, magnificent roofed, like it was all stainless steel, just beautiful. He'd spent a fortune on it. Guy wasn't short of a quid, so he spent a fortune on it. The dog house he built was fully insulated. It had temperature control in there. Everything that you could think of for building a cubby house for kids that was, you know, like fully yeah. fitted out, he had it there for the dog. And I thought, why would the dog actually want to get out of this? <laughs> but at the start, he wasn't convinced that it was the dog getting out. He, he was convinced it was the neighbor because him and the neighbor. Oh, I were, think you told me about this. That yeah. He thought someone was letting the dog yeah, out and you filmed it. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. You've just let the cat out of the bag. You've told the story <laughs> on the podcast before. Have I? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have. There you go. See, We've I done listen. so many episodes. <laughs> So many episodes, I'm, I'm repeating myself. Yeah, you set yeah. up a camera. And- That's right, yeah. So, yeah, long story short, set up a camera and we found that because he was convinced it was a neighbour, he was really furious about it. I just said, mate, it's not the neighbour, it's the dog. And uh, we were watching on the video and he goes, oh, how could he do this? You know, he's so smart. And I said, you know, what they nothing do. Nothing else going on. Yeah, nothing else going on. So we fixed it with like a little pin. That's all we did. We just drilled the slip lock. It was a Haspen staple sort of thing that he had on there. So I just drilled through there, put a little pin through there, fixed the problem. The dog could never get out ever again. But it tried all the time. You know, he yeah. used to ring me laughing saying, oh, he's trying, he's trying. I said, he won't get out of it. I said, he can't now because there's no actual escape mechanism. I said, yeah, but he'll try until extinction. So I think the point is management, there's the error on the, the part of the equipment. Mm. It can eventually fail. The dog can figure it out. They got time to do it. And then, of course, there's human error that comes in. And eventually, like on a long enough timeline, everybody makes a mistake. Yeah. And especially if you have like a multiple dog household and some dogs get along and certain combinations, they Mm. don't get along and that kind of thing. Eventually, you make a mistake and the worst can happen. Yep. It's not to say you shouldn't use management. Of course, you have to in in an early phase. But, you know, later it's it's worth um, trying to put the time in or, you know, whatever checks and balances that you can to avoid that management failing. Mm. Human error, it's always there. My kennels are, you can't get out of them. They're, they're indestructible. Yep. But human error kicks in. I have been locked in my own kennels. Yeah. <laughs> and so is Rip. <laughs> I, got, say I got stuck in there just recently. No. So, so when they first got installed, I got I got locked in there twice. Yep. Right? Because the doors close automatically, like they lock behind. So yeah, all these things that are designed to make sure a dog can't get out. So I got locked in there twice and Jane took, I had to call for help and Jane had to come and she had gone, of course she took a photo of me yep. and put it straight online of me locked in the kennels, having to wait to be brought out. Well, I got that smoker, right? So, yep. and it's actually in one of the kennels because I don't really use them at the moment. It's just my two dogs. And so I get up a little while ago at, you know, it's two in the morning to put on a brisket to, yep. to, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, Pat's part of the Traeger gang. Yeah, now. I'm, I'm one of the cool guys. Yeah, <laughs> you got to join the group and everything. So it's two in the morning or one in the morning, whatever it was, because I want yep. to have it for lunch the next day. Yep. I carry out this like seven kilos of meat. I'm all super happy, but I get up. It's the middle of the night. Like I've, I just go out to put it on. It's all ready there sitting on the bench. So I just get straight up and my nothing but my underpants at two in the morning. Yep. Right. So I run out in I, winter, in winter. Yeah, so cool. I go running out. I've got the meat with me. I turn on the smoker. I put it down. Right. I'm like, yes, see you in 12 hours. And I, tu- <laughs> I turn around to leave and the fucking door is shut. And I'm so it's, it's two in the morning. I'm standing there and I'm like, oh shit. And I look and because I've only just and you turned, call yourself a good dog trainer and yeah. you haven't even latched the door properly. Yeah, and so then I turn around and I look at the, the smoker because it's just been turned on. It's not at temperature yet. So it's mm. going to display like the air temperature, mm. eight degrees. Oh, wow. I'm like, oh, that's uh, fucked. Fuck, it's two yep. in the morning. Yep. I'm wearing nothing but my underpants and my Ugg boots. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm locked in my dog's kennel. And the dogs are on the outside. Because it's like, you know, of course, when you get up at two in the morning and you're carrying like a seven kilo brisket out, they're like, oh my God, he's out to their kennel. Yep. Both the dogs are like, oh my God, he's about to feed us seven kilos of brisket ever. in the middle of the night. Yep. And they both look at me like, well, that's what you get, you motherfucker, yep. for that not being for us. And then get this. <laughs> So now I have these options, right? I'm like, what do I you do? You would have been like George from the Jetsons. Jane! Well, so Jane! that's the thing. I'm thinking, do I call out? Like my first thought was I can ride this out. Yep. Right? I can avoid embarrassment in all of this by just waiting in here, right? Like I can just wait all, right? all until, day until the sun comes up and someone like Jane gets up yep. because I'm going to wake the neighbors up. This is going to be a whole ordeal. If I have to call out to her yep. who's in the house and I'm out in the kennels, everybody else in my building will be able to hear that, right? Yep. And so in order to wake her up, I have to wake up everybody and everybody's going to find out that I'm locked in. Well, and now I'm telling 20,000 people, but everybody's going to see me yep. locked in the kennel. In With my, your undies and Ugg boots. Yeah. Yep. And I'm thinking at least I'm wearing clean underpants. <laughs> I'm locked in the kennels. And so I think, oh, no, nah, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I think I could wait this out. I can wait till she gets up and then finds me here. And then I'm like, the whole thing's filling with smoke. And I'm thinking, actually, I, I kind of want to get out of here pretty quick. Mm. So luckily there's a guillotine. And so only one side of the kennels was shut. So the, the two kennels has a guillotine door between. And so I like had to summon my superhuman finger strength to grab a hold of the, the tiny wire that is available to me to lift the guillotine and shimmy out and go to bed. Didn't tell anybody. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. It happens. You fuck up. Things yep. happen all the time, yeah, right? And so they do. Like I think that's one of the things that the moral of the story is that shit goes wrong and I think you know, you have these intentions, we're going to keep these dogs separated, we're mm. going to manage this, and then when things go wrong, people will blame themselves. And and of course, like that's a hard thing to get out of, but people fuck up. People make mistakes, that's just how life goes. Yep. And sometimes a really small mistake that seems, you know, inconsequential mm. can be a life-ending mistake down the line for the you know, another dog or person or whatever. That happens. Like yeah. Take, for example, that dog I say, like Chevy, when he got out of the kennel, I have no fucking idea how that happened. Mm. Obviously, I did something that wasn't, you know, did something incorrect. And luckily for us- Could be just a mechanical failure sometimes. Exactly, Mm. right? But luckily for us, he just rocked into the brew room and wanted a coffee, right? But we had, you know, there's dogs there that would have rocked in there and fucking nailed the first person they found, right? And and the same happens with other dogs. So I think that's a big step in the whole thing is just acknowledging equipment does fail. That shit happens Mm. and it's outside your control. You can check it, you can do all that kind of stuff, but sometimes- Sometimes that shit just breaks, yep. right? 
as well as, you know, you make mistakes and everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. There's no, the fact that I've locked myself in my own dog kennels three times, you know, it, is, is an, an indicator, indicator that indicator, yep. I'm also have locked dogs places I shouldn't have by accident. Yeah. You know? Like that shit happens and you got to let go of the idea that, you know, it's your fault. Like mistakes happen, shit happens. You got to get over it and move. There are ways that we actually learn how to improve what's happened in the past as well. I mean, even being involved in kennels as long as I have, you know, we have very little errors in our kennels, but we still have them. And there's things that we learn from, you know, the way that dogs will get under things, climb over things, barge through doors, push past people, all sorts of things. You know, I mean, all of those add up to how we change our policies and procedures is because we see something happen and we say to ourselves, okay, well, I wouldn't have thought that could happen, but now that it has, we have to all learn from it. You know, yeah. and these are things, these are suggestions and improvements that we have to pass around to the group collective now. And it's the same thing, when, even with your own dogs, as you said. I mean, who do you know who's just grifted through life with nothing ever happening? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're all products of something happening, the trials and tribulations of life in general. And they're things that do go wrong. And you, you said it perfectly, but, you know, shit is going to happen. Things are going to malfunction. You just cannot predict that some of these things would have ever happened. Yeah, that but, black swan event. Can yeah, happen. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about in the kitchen before is nobody does these things with intent. Mm. And that's the thing is that they do list under accidents. And sometimes they could have been avoided. You know, sometimes fatigue, sometimes not paying attention, not reading the situation well. I mean, they're catalyst of why it may have occurred, but the reality is we have to not kick ourselves so hard sometimes, but think of, as I've said many times before, is what did I learn from this today? You know, what was the lesson behind this? How could I have improved it? And that's easier said than done sometimes when this person on who contacted us was talking about their bite. You know, this is certainly not my first rodeo with dealing with dog bites before because I've dealt with so many aggression cases and been round and seen children that have been bitten, seen their parents that have been bitten, seen, you know, friends or colleagues or assailants that have been bitten before and seen a lot of what, what the aftermath looks like. And it's not so much the the physical scarring that hurt so much, it's the mental scarring. Yeah. The person that wrote to us about this was right. You know, maybe at some stage we need to have a double down on this and talk to Birdie about it as well yeah. because she could give insight. Neither of us are psychologists. We deal with psychology in our profession, but we're not psychologists as such. We're not, mm. we don't, we haven't done the time in the chair that, that Birdie has done or, you know, her other colleagues or many of the people around the world. We identify that. But, being human, we can sympathize and empathize and relate to people who have been in those situations. I've been bitten by dogs before, not badly, you know, but I have scars on my body. I've got one on my hand that I look at almost every day. And it reminds me of the time that I, I got bitten in a situation. I've got a, a bite on my leg that happened in a training incident one day where the dog redirected. It was frustrated. It shot back and it bit me in the leg because it couldn't get to the grip. You know, and I mean, these things happen. And I, I mean, even at the time, I thought to myself, why would the dog do this? You know, I had a great relationship with the dog. I was its handler. I was its support. But now I understand why it happened. You know, like I took the time to, to reflect. I asked people who were wiser than me at the time, why did this happen? They explained it to me. The dog was frustrated. Mm. It was highly aroused at the time. 
it couldn't get to what it wanted. There was a lot of compressed emotion in the dog at the time, so it shot back and bit me in the leg. Yeah. And had I have interviewed the dog, the dog would have just been in a blackout zone. You know, we talk about Dave Grossman a, a fair bit, the book on combat, and he talks about that time where people have blackout moments. Mm. You know, they don't even know that they've been in savage gunfights or battles or something like that. Like you ask them and they say, oh, I don't remember that window of time. Mm. And yet they performed action during that time. And dogs do the same sort of thing. I was so aroused. I was so full of adrenaline and cortisol. I don't remember what I did. I had tunnel vision or mm. I just, you know, I just blanked during that time. Because as soon as it happened with that dog, there was no animosity between us. It never, ever bit me again in the entire time it was there. Never indicated that it was going to do that. However, there are hallmarks of times where dogs do indicate that they're going to do it and people are reading it badly. Mm -hmm. And this is why when I talk to people about dealing with aggression, it's not that I'm trying to be the Grinch about it because I did a walkthrough video while I was burning some logs off the other day at one of my properties. And in the message I said to people, I really discourage people from just going out and having a go, you know, just hoping for the best, throwing caution to the wind and just having a go at it. This is something that even when I first got involved in this, and although I was dealing with working dogs predominantly from the start, when I really got involved in professional training, it was something that I never really just went off on my own to do until I started learning the trade and, and developing a very good understanding of what drives were and what behavior traits were in dogs. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that if I gave people advice, it was going to be sound advice. And even my mentors at the time were suggesting the same thing to me. They said, please don't go out and do this without doing time in the chair. So I genuinely encourage anybody who's listening to this who wants to get involved in aggression do it by all means, but learn how to do it first. Yeah. Mentor with people. Read books by Panksepp, Abrantes, On Aggression, Lorenz. You know, you really need to get your head around what you're advising people to do. You know, I think Jerry made a very salient point the other day in last week's podcast where he said, train a lot of dogs. Mm. Get involved in just working with a lot of dogs to start with. Don't start cutting your teeth on some of the specialist areas immediately. You know, you really, really do need time in the chair. Otherwise, you are going to get people hurt and you possibly can get hurt yourself. I've seen very talented dog trainers, people who have got great skill and would have been a world beater in their class had they have just paced themselves and not been so overly ambitious and got involved in it that have been bitten very badly and never, ever returned to the trade. Mm. Like they've just packed up, sold up and gone into something else. Yeah. Never, to, never to be heard from again. I think, you know, in dealing with those aggression cases, what she's asking in that message is just found herself in that situation. Mm. Yeah. But in dealing with those aggression cases, it's always just better to be safe than sorry. Absolutely. You know, like you take the, the precautions that you do and that, yeah, that are necessary. And, you know, leashes are such a great invention that there's fucking cave paintings of them, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like using a leash, control the dog, control the dog so that you don't have to worry. Mm. I've actually got a thing I'm going to put in Patreon. Did she say this was her own dog? Can we just uh, recap on it that? It was her housemate's dog. Housemate's the, dog. But there was yep. a fight between the two dogs and it yep. was a housemate's dog. That right. Her. Mm. Like I'm about to put in the Patreon a whole thing on. So people always ask about the box and resource guarding aggressive dogs. And I, yeah, I've got a thing I'm putting in the Patreon about how to deal with that. Mm. And it's the same. It's just you take a lot more control of the dog. The dog's on a back tie, so he can't get to you, right? Like in the the box is on a string, so you can move it without having to move your body and stuff yep. like that. Like it's just taking those extra precautions and thinking it through because 
I think it's reasonable when people get bitten. There's lots of reasons. I've been bitten plenty of times, right? Yeah. And there's a there's a good reason every time, and and it's usually yeah, like it's occupational. Well, yeah, a lot of the times for us, like, unfortunately. I've been bitten by a super fearful dog that was running away, and mm. I grabbed it, and I knew it was going to bite me. I fucking knew it was going to go down, but I accepted the risk, right? Yep. It was a little like foxy chihuahua, or not a like a Jack Russell sort of dog, and it it was I it was running. I was driving down the street. I think I've told this story as well. I was driving down the street, and it just ran across the front of my car, dragging its its flexi leash. Can you believe it? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's why. Yeah, and I I don't even know what happened. All I see was this dog sprint in front of me across the street. So I I hit the brakes to not hit the dog, and I see where it's going, and I'm on like a a back street. Mm. And it's going to go through this pathway to a very busy street. So I like slam on the brakes and I'm chasing this dog down and I can see this dog is in full flight. I can run faster than it because it's a little dog chasing it, like dragging a giant flexi leash behind it. Yep. So, so I'm going to get weighted down. Yeah. And I try to grab it and I grab the flexi leash and this little fucker just turned straight on me and came flying at me and nipped me on the hand. And so I just, I, I was like, well, try and make it one bite and just held his whole bottom jaw with my hand that was in his mouth. So he couldn't, he, and he kept this oh, fucker. He kept just nailing me with the top of his jaw, like, like a bloody, bearing down. Just, yeah, yeah. No, no. He kept going up like a bloody, what was that cartoon that was a cartoon in South Park? You know, the, the Canadian. Oh, uh, Trenton, whatever they yeah, call it. Uh, Trenton Phil or something yeah, like that. You know how their heads just moved they up like up and that? Down. Yeah, yeah. That was what this fucking dog kept doing it because I had him by the bottom jaw and he's top bang, 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 bang. Anyway, and I was like, well, that's the bite. So the dog was terrified, you know, I got bitten for that and I yep. knew it was going to come. I've been bitten uh, because I got cocky with the dog and put like, actually, Misha's dog fucking B-Town nailed me in, in Texas, right? Like just because I, I was, but she tells everyone that. Dog oh, she told me he's going to do it, and I was yeah. like, "No, he's not." And then, <laughs> right? like, I just got cocky. It was a stupid thing. I shouldn't have done it, but it yep. was hundred percent my fault. Yeah, I've also, you know, misjudged a dog, like a really serious police dog that I was showing a guy how to choke it off, and it fucking turned on me and got me on the arm while I was showing him how to work it. And again, it was my fault. Yeah, but there's also times where you cannot see it coming. That mm. black swan event where yeah, you're like, absolutely. "There's nothing I could have done. I fucking had no idea that was going to go down." Yeah, or like I say with that first dog, like I made the calculated. Decision decision of like the, the the juice is worth the squeeze on this it's yep. potential i could get bitten but you know if i do it's what else can i do like if two dogs are fighting yeah and of course you go to intervene with two dogs that are fighting you have to you know everybody knows you get up around the collars and you choke them off and you know but you're getting pretty close to the mouths at yeah that you're point. at the dangerous end of the, yeah. the game and mm. if they're if they're really serious game dogs that are fighting properly you're probably very safe but if they're just two nerve bags that are going at it you're yep. in a lot of danger there as well because you're just part of the the mix yeah right so there's lots of different reasons you could get bitten. And I think understanding that, but accepting sometimes things are just out of your control, right? Mm. Like sometimes things really do just happen. Do you know the origin of that? The black swan event? Have you ever heard the origin of I, that? You, you started talking about it today when we were talking about yeah, so, a bit of a preamble in the kitchen. So but, yeah. So a black swan in. event is something that cannot be seen, like cannot be predicted. Yep. Right. And, and I think that when you understand that and you use that language correctly, it actually comes from an old English saying, right? Mm. And so, you know, when you're like, oh, I'd sooner see pigs fly than that, yep. right? Well, it used to be, I would sooner see a black swan than, you know, give you a hundred dollars, right? Mm. Like that was an old English saying because there's no black swans in England. And then they come to Australia and it's full of black oh, swans. Oh, you've got black right? swans. Yeah, but so the idea is it's it's totally unforeseeable. There's no way having the information that I have mm. and the knowledge that I have, even doing research, nobody knew within that community that there is a black swan, but there they are, right? 
And so that's a that's a circumstance that a lot of dog trainers, I think, can find themselves okay. in is what you would call a black swan event where you go like, fuck, I had no idea that was on the cards and no amount of research, no amount of training, no amount of anything could have prepared me for this. That yep. was just, fuck, who knew, right? There's so many coloured bird analogies in the army that I've learned this week, <laughs> like just this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Think <laughs> <laughs> about the other one. Yeah. But yeah, so like, and that's not an army thing. That's a... That's a phrase colloquial usage. But anyway, yeah. So I think that that kind of thing can happen. And, you know, listening to you then talk about, and I thought this when I saw you live about it, the thing that is annoying is the people that you have influence over in that, like the people you're saying, you know, don't take on cases that you shouldn't, don't Mm. put yourself in those situations. They listen. The people who are really fucking shit up, and, 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 your advice keeps them safe for sure, right? People knowing, like, hey, you know, maybe I should be more. It's not about saying don't ever, it's saying, don't do it until you've had yeah, well, respective qualifications. Yeah, be properly. safe doing it. Yeah, that's but right. The, the problem is the people who are doing those aggression cases, it's done in Kruger for them. Yeah, they are convinced that, and you're never going to tell them they're doing it wrong, mm. right? They're like, no, this is it. I've fried heaps of dogs and I'll continue to fry more. I'll mm. fix aggression in one session, no problem. I'll shut that dog down. I'll make him too afraid to do anything. I'll create a silent killer. I'll take away all his warning signals of barking, lunging, growling and turn him into a dog that stands there petrified, scared until he eventually just nails somebody. Hey, get this. There are still people out there now telling people they'll fix aggression in one session. Yeah. Yeah, And when I hear things like that, that just reinforces my concerns about what people are doing out there. All of those sort of claims are red flags. Mm. You know, like I can do this in one session. Well, I mean, there's lots of things you can do in one session that the handler will never be able to, to manifest. You know, they'll never be able to recreate what you've done. Mm. And sometimes it's terrible as well. You know, sometimes it's such a life-changing event for the dog that's just, why would you subject the dog to that? Yeah. It has so many layers that's like saying that like if you've got depression or you've got something deep-seated that's an issue, that if you just go to to a psychologist or psychiatrist, they're just going to go, snap out of it. And and you go, oh, my God. Yeah. All the, all the issues, everything that my mum and dad created telling me about supernovas <laughs> is just completely washed out. It's just gone. Thank you. <laughs> just stop it. Just, just stop it. Just cut it out. <laughs> yeah, and – like aggression, is, it's such a complex issue. You know, I, I was on the Life With Your Dog podcast with mm. Panos and, and Luke, and one of the things I was talking about with them is like how people can accidentally, through use of negative reinforcement, like a poor use of negative reinforcement, can create aggression as a behavior yeah. outside the mindset of fear, anxiety, or whatever. So normally, you know, after speaking with uh, Roger Branties, I kind of came to the idea of myself that, you know, that the mindset is fear, uncertainty, anxiety, right? Mm. But then that can you know, that can switch between fearful behavior as in retreating and aggressive behavior as in going forward. But sometimes the problem is you can put aggression on command quite by accident. And there's plenty of people that do that, right? And say, you know, imagine you're handling your dog and the dog is really super driven to do something and you're trying to use pressure to get him to do something else. And, and, you know, that would be an aggressive dog that's all you know, that's going at its thing that it's aggressing for. Maybe yep. you've taught that aggression because, you know, you've built you've relieved through pressure. Yeah. But mm. maybe you've built it through like, it, maybe it's a police dog that is having like to, to complete its task and you put so much power into that and you're trying to stop it to put control on the dog. And then you apply that pressure and the dog then, you know, thinks he's being fought with, thinks the pressure that you're applying is to try and, you know, kill him and then comes at you. And then you realize, Oh wow, I've done too much pressure and you relieve it well, you've just taught the dog when I apply pressure to you, turn it off by attacking me. Yep. And so you can end up it with channels. a dog. 
elsewhere. Yeah, but so mm. then eventually you can end up with a dog that if you were to ask, like, how come you turn on your handler? Like, mm. how come when that particular situation arises, you turn on your handler? And he goes, oh, he wants me to. Yep. That's, he, he's taught me to do that. And, and you used a good example when you talked about that dog, Big Roy, or something like that, was it? The one that you worked over in the States? Uh, I've never worked Big Roy. I no, not Big to. Roy. Sorry. It was another dog that you were talking about how, when they were jacking him up on the- Oh, Rocky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. Like a lot of these like really extreme biting, what is a dangerous behavior can be totally learnt, right? And then that's a like, you know, no amount of pressure is going to stop that because mm. if you taught it by accidental- by the accidental application of pressure you've created, yeah. like like leash pressure or e-collar pressure, prong collar pressure, whatever, if that was what created the aggressive behavior, mm. then no amount of it will stop it. In fact, it will only make it worse until you eventually kill the dog. Yeah. Like that's that's the inevitable end there, which is what you see people do, right? Like he can't be fixed. He's fucking crazy. Mm. And you go, well, actually, mate, that's because every attempt you are trying to get to stop the dog is actually the activation signal for the behavior. Mm. So every time you're using pressure to get him to stop, he's actually convinced he should try harder. Yep. And so then this is where people will like, without realizing that will write off the dog and say, nah, can't be fixed because I can't beat him into submission. And it's like, well, that's why, yeah. right? Because he has been shown when someone applies pressure to you, you turn it off by fucking attacking them. Right? Yeah. So the more you put, the harder he'll attack. And that, that's the dog that's so regularly by people who, only really have a surface level understanding of operant conditioning mm. would then say, no, he, behavioral science isn't working on this dog. He's crazy. A lot of times this starts as puppies, you know, when people yeah. start using compulsive techniques in puppy training, which is fine. It's not a problem if you're, if you're using it well, but if the puppy has its first little jack up moment and then turns on you and you take your hands off it, that the pup has learned then that either shrieking loudly or having a go at you is a rewardable behavior. Yeah. And, that, and that actually manifests into further problems down the track. Yeah. So then imagine it's a dog that has like a pretty decent amount of opposition reflex to the leash, right? Mm. Whether it's real opposition reflex, but doesn't like to be moved around by the leash. And yep. as a young dog, you're manipulating it and it decides, fuck you, I don't like this. And it comes and has a crack at you. Yep. Right? And of course you have no choice because the leash goes loose. So the pressure comes off and you like flinch backwards and you give that dog the win. Right. And then that sort of gets incrementally worse over time. And maybe he's a 12 week old puppy when that happens for the first time. Mm. And it's two years before you call a dog trainer. So you call a dog trainer and the person comes around and goes, yeah, I get this operant conditioning. This is a, this dog is displaying a behavior I no longer want to see. Therefore, I will use positive punishment on that behavior mm -hmm. and we'll use the prong collar or the leash or whatever, right? Unbeknownst to them, because like they're dealing in a surface level understanding of that, is that their attempts to extinguish that behavior, I'll punish that away. Every application of what they think is the punisher is, is going to be a punishing signal is actually been a classically conditioned action to be the activator for the exact opposite behavior that they want. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's, that's just one example of really common one actually of how you, in your attempts to fix aggression with only sort of like basic behavioral science, I get that that's a behavior I don't want. You know, Skinner tells us if I want to see less of that, I use positive punishment. I apply a leash correction, Yeah, but that leash correction to that dog is I apply the command to attack me mm. and up comes the dog. But they're working on the surface layer, not the underlayer. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and it's, it, it's, that's a perfect example of a little bit of knowledge being dangerous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hence why I gave out that caution again, to use the reference in psychology, if you try and address the surface layer of the issue without all the underlayers, which is why I call aggression, the onion, 
you know, like it's, there's so many layers to this, mm. you know, and when you start peeling, you realize, my God, you know, I'm three layers in and there's probably another 10 or, or more to go. There's a lot of work here to do. I'm still telling people to this very day when I ring them up and I'm talking to them about the pre-consult, you know, when I'm when we're arranging time, I'll let them know this is not something that's just going to go away. It took a lifetime probably to create it. It's going to take time. And I said that doesn't necessarily mean that's time where you have to consult with me, but there's a lot of homework, a lot of things that you guys are just going to have to change. Some of them might be incremental small things and, and some of them might have to be large changes that are going to have to occur because – some of these things are very deep-seated in the dog. And unfortunately, they've come from explanations that you've just given into pressure relief. Yeah. What triggered you to make that video was that woman who contacted us uh, had an issue it, it, with there was, There's been so many. But, then, but that so, was the catalyst. Yeah. And she said that someone had said, what was it, 500 bucks, one session, they were going to fix the yep. aggression in the dog. Yeah. And we rightly go like, oh, what the fuck, right? But that person that's going to charge $500 in one session – fix it. Now you could bet they're just going to try and flatten the dog out. And that's probably what they know how to do. And it works nine out of 10 times that they're probably it'll, right. It'll, it'll, yeah. Well, it works for them. Right. Yeah. And so they flatten the dog out completely to the point where the dog is too afraid to do anything. Yep. And therefore your aggression problems is fixed because the dog is it barely like takes shallow breaths because he's too scared of taking a deep breath. Maybe that's part of the behavior that could be punished. Right. Mm. And so that probably works nine out of 10 times. And on the, the the one out of 10 where it doesn't work, we can just blame the dog's not right in the head, mm. right? We can just go, oh, he's, you know, that nothing could be done for this dog, right? And so that's one of the big problems that we find in our industry is, you know, the, those lone people who maybe like old Jono down the street taught them this and now they're, they're dealing in it. Mm. it. It really does work for them largely. Yep. And, you know, not like certainly you'd agree. I, I've definitely had dogs that I have said, no, nah, there's something wrong with the dog. Like I can't get through to this dog. There is, and that can happen. People yep. are crazy. Dogs can be crazy. Right. So it, they exist. Yeah, they we, do. we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. But then maybe there's people who are like, no, I can flatten the dog out. And if it doesn't go right, then like, my one tool works on everything. And if it doesn't work on this, then there's nothing else that can be done. Yeah. And they're probably not assholes. They're probably good people, but that's what they know. Yeah, it's that's not, what they it's were not shown. A, that's right. It's not a matter of the person being an asshole. It's just that they're being very singular about their approach to it. And there's even a, there's times where people have come to me for aggression consults and I've said to them, I don't think I can fix this dog. And they've said, well, what, what are my options? I've said, go and see my colleague. You know, uh, I might refer him to you or Jazz or somebody else. I might just say, look, go and get a second opinion. You need to speak to this person or medication might relieve it for yeah. you. You know, you might get a fix on this. And I said, there's some things that are rattling around the, in, in the head of this dog, which is concerning me. It's dangerous. You have to be aware that, you know, life with this dog is going to be very, very difficult and extremely demanding from this point in. Yeah. So- Sometime. I've had a couple of those where I've said to people, hey, I, I can't figure this puzzle out. Like, yeah. I, honestly, I'm, I, I don't know what to do here. But don't be too egotistical to do that, you know, and no. that, that's the thing is that, you know, even Jazz spoke to me on Thursday night and said, hey, listen, there's a bunch of dogs that I've got with um, that have contacted me for aggression. I'd rather they speak to you first. And I said, yeah, cool, no problem. But this is things that in the industry we should all do with each other. If somebody is a specialist in some other field, consult with them. You know, and other people have said to me, if I give you this dog, can I come and sit in the lesson with you? I've said, of course you can. You know, that's more than fair. You can come and um, sit in the lesson with me and we'll we'll talk it through. Yeah. And however, there's been times where people have contacted me about things, you know, 
for example, when I was doing that video and I talked about Rachel, who's an agility specialist, I wouldn't dream of leading someone up the garden path and telling them that I'm a specialist in coaching agility. Mm. That would be such a disappointing session for the person that came and did the, the workshop with me. Sure enough, I can do tactical agility. I can teach a dog how to jump through things and over tunnels and so forth, but competing against the big guns, no way. That would be an insult to the people who came out and did it. There's just no way that I would do it. I would I would say to them, look, if you really want to go and do it, go with a trainer who's actually got rungs on the board and they're proving it. Yeah. So, you know, getting back to the lady who asked the question and other people who have asked these type of questions before, like how do you deal with these type of things once they've happened? Well, I'm telling you now, it's going to knock the wind out of your sails. Mm. It is really going to remove your confidence for a period of time. It has removed my confidence for a period of time. I've got, I, when I got nailed in the leg by that dog, you know, I got a little shell shock by it. I thought to myself, well, what did I do and, and how do I prevent that from happening again? So I started to really circle the drain for a, a period of time thinking, how do I combat this next time it happens? And I spoke to Boyd about it at the time. I said, you know, I've got some concerns. He said, mate, look, unfortunately, when you fall off the horse, you just got to get back on, mm. you know, and he said, I, I know that it's a situation where it, it creates a lot of self-doubt in your head, but- it's an occupational hazard. And he said, it's like when you used to be an electrician, you're going to get zapped every now and then. When you're a dog trainer, you're going to get nipped every now and then. And one day you're going to get a bite that's going to force you to confront yourself. Like you're going to sit there and you're going to have that inner monologue with yourself where you're saying, should I be doing this? Am I the right person for it? Uh, and there's owners, there's handlers of dogs that have reached out to me in the past. And even recently where they've said to me, look, I've just been you know, nailed by my dog, whether breaking up a dog fight or I've got into a confronting situation with my dog and it, and it bit me. I just don't know how I feel about the dog right now. And I said, you know, have you ever been in a fight with somebody in a play yard and you've, you know, you've slapped each other or, or kicked each other or hit each other. And then, you know, after a period of time, you've completely gotten over it. And I said, a lot of times with a lot of dogs, this is often the case. I said, you have to examine why did that dog bite me? That's the question you need to ask yourself first and foremost. Is the dog crazy? Or is it a behavior, a precursor that I've been ignoring for a long period of time and the dog's bit me? Randy went to bite me the other day, <laughs> you know, but I pushed him to it, yeah, you yeah. know, because he was he was being a dick. He was playing. He was being excessive about something. So, you know, like I was putting the, the bullies on him and he just, he went to take a shot at me. And like anybody who looked at it would have gone, oh, wow, that's not good. You know, your own dog doing that. But I totally understand why he did it because I put him into a situation where he thought you're being a, you're being an asshole to me. You're being very unreasonable. And he, and he took a shot. And I kind of, I kind of admire him for it really, to be honest. <laughs> it's um, funny that, hey, in, in, yeah. in working dogs, it's kind of, it, it's always in your mind. And when it happens, you're kind of like, oh, I see. Yeah, but five seconds after it happened, him and I were best friends again. Yeah, you yeah. know, like he 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 realized, well, you know, that situation isn't there anymore. There's no reason for me to be like this. And had I have been an unreasonable person, I would have thought, fucking dog, you know, like he's going to bite me. That's your life gone, and I'm just going to snatch it from you. But again, analyzing that situation, I realized, well, I put you under that pressure. You know, had I have not done that, had I have not lost my temper, had I have not been unreasonable in the situation, I would never have put you in the position where you would have had a shot at me. What because, was the issue? You didn't want to go in his crate or something. Yeah, he was just being a dick. I was trying to get Ladybug <laughs> out into the backyard and he was fucking around. He just, he, he missed me and he wanted to play with me and he was being excessive. So I grabbed him and went to put him in and I, I was pushing him and, and 
Opie was then growling at him and it was just a catalyst of things that went on. And, you know, I was like, I sort of grabbed him by the scruff and went to shove him in and he, I could hear him growling at me. And, um, you know, I, I got forceful with him and went to shove him in and he just turned around and went, like that. and um, I thought, yeah, that's because I was being so impatient. Yeah. Had I just gone in there and, and given him a love for a couple of, you know, for a minute and just giving him a bit of time, and which is all he really wanted. And this is usually the situation, and it's a it's something that I have I've trained in him to do. So we go out there. He just wants a minute to give me a love, and then he will happily go into his crate. And I didn't do it. I was just being bullish, and I was in a rush, and I pushed him, and I thought, yeah, well, that's on me. You know, I've created this situation and expectation within the dog. I didn't fulfill an expectation that he had. It's not to say that he should always get it every single time, but the way I handled it, I mismanaged the situation. Mm. So I reflect on that and I take that as an, as an owner, that was my fuck up. You know, I look at that and say, that's on me that my dog acted out that way, Mm -hmm. you know, because normally he wouldn't do that. And even there's many times, Randy will let me grab him by the scruff, 24 hours a day. He's fine with that sort of stuff. It was just how abrasive I was being with him. And it was a catalyst of. Yeah. So you would say that in his mind, he was actually just frustrated with you. Very frustrated. Rather than like trying to stop you doing something. Wasn't fearful. Wasn't trying to get away. No. Wasn't trying to create space. It was just a frustration where he's like, Hey man. He just didn't appreciate um, my poor handling of the situation. And if the role was reversed, if I being analytical about it, if the role was reversed, I would have acted in exactly the same way because yeah. what I was doing was unreasonable. So I think you just explained it there. When you like, when you are bitten by a dog, analyzing it yep. is the path to understanding it. Right. So you step back and, and say in this example that she sent us, she's breaking up a dog fight and they're not fighting dogs. Yep. So it's dangerous. Yep. And potentially anybody whose reflexes aren't faster are going to get the same bite. Right. Well, I, I mentioned it before and it probably warrants going on people's reading list. And you've got to understand this is a book about warriors and warfare and so forth like that. But the book On Combat by Dave Grossman Mm -hmm. is a very good book that talks about the psychology of what happens to people in combat situations, you know, and when dogs are fighting with each other, this is a combat situation, you know, and you've got to understand that. I mean, I've been, I've been in fights before I've been in street fights and I've been in sport fights and so forth like that. And if the situation is serious enough, even in a sport combat thing, you can have sensory exclusion where, yeah, where um, you auditory can't auditory exclusion, auditory exclusion, yeah, and and visual exclusion where you get tunnel vision, you can't hear properly, your heart's beating like crazy, your adrenaline's rushing. You know, I remember the first time I did an an amateur boxing fight and I was walking into the ring. Oh my god, I, I can't even remember it. I can't. I still can't. I I have. When I try and remember it now, I have little flashbacks of what happened every now and then. And all I could hear was my trainer banging on. That was a condition response. When 10 seconds were remaining, the coach goes bang, bang, bang three times. That's the only thing that I could ever remember because it was a conditioned behavior. (laughs) Everything else was a blur. And even the funny thing is I've told this story many times, but I thought I was a stylish prize fighter. (laughs) And all I was was just a little kid swinging my arms around in a, in a, like a, like a windmill in a frenzy, just trying to hit the other bloke. And he was doing the same to me. We were both terrified. We were shaking. There was so much adrenaline. I I nearly wanted to puke. It was terrible. Yeah. But 
you got to understand that you aren't the same person in a combat situation that you normally are in any other time. They talk about fables like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's essentially what happens to you. You change your personality. So how can you expect that in a situation where your dog has either become adrenalized or flushed with cortisol, where its chemical structure is actually changing in its brain, how can you expect your dog to be the same rational, lovable old goof that it was when it's now in a combat situation? Mm. You know, and I mean, you would be an authority on this, Pat. You have been in, in situations like that where you've seen men and women change under very diverse situations. Yeah, so I think trying to keep it about dogs, mm. I don't even know how to how to formulate it. When you go from a resting heart rate yep. to your you know peak heart rate, you are not making cognitive decisions. You are acting as a reflex, and mm. you will do what you have been trained to right. do. Right, right. So uh, most people, you know, a lot of people probably wear there's this stuff called simunition, right? So it's like they're real bullets and they go in real guns, but it's like a paintball bullet, and we yep. use that in training. And so I met this guy, uh, Randy Clifton is his name, who invented it and basically pioneered with another guy, I think Ken Murray's the guy's name, the other guy, mm. um, reality-based training. And uh, I think Ken wrote a book, I think it's called Training at the Speed of Life or something like yep. that. So the idea is, and, and when I met Randy, he was very interesting. He he was a DEA agent. He was involved in a fatal shooting and then became kind of obsessed with it and interviewed. At that point when I met him, there were hundreds of people that he had interviewed that had mm. been involved in fatal shootings. And basically what he told me, at this big conference that I was at with it, I was I was one of only two army guys there and the rest were cops. Yep. And he was explaining, he goes, you know, like, especially for a cop who's walking the street, you know, like for 12 years and, you know, never has a super adrenalizing situation. Maybe he's never pulled his gun out other than like at, at the range or whatever. Mm. When you suddenly find yourself in that situation, when you're resting heart rate, when you're just at 70 beats per minute and then suddenly at 200, you are going to do what you have trained to do and you are not going to do anything else. And so he, their, their thing was training in a way that replicates what you need to really do and not, leaving in any training type steps because you won't remember this isn't training. Yep. And he gave a lot of really crazy examples. Like back when he first started doing this, it was all revolvers. And he was saying, you know, when you see people shooting revolvers, like shoot them at the range, you fire your six shots. And then because a revolver doesn't eject the spent cartridge, yep. you then just like empty that into your hand and then you put that in your pocket and then Saving or wherever. Your yeah. Yep. And so you don't have to pick it up later. Yep. And then you put your new one in and you continue shooting. Mm. Well, he was saying like they've got footage of people doing that in gunfights. So like putting like carefully ejecting the brass into their hand and putting it into their pocket or in order before they reload mm. so that they don't have to worry about picking it up later. And that's a ridiculous thing. And if you say to someone like who's in a gun for like a fight for their life, like why the fuck are you doing that? And they don't have an answer Condition for you. Conditioned behavior. They don't have an answer for mm. you because they're not doing, they're not making choices. They're going through what they have been trained to do. And so in training, you then have to be really careful to like make sure that you do the right sequence of events and never saying, oh, well, in real life I would do this or in training I would do this, right? Because it's like you won't distinguish between that in the moment. There's a lot of evidence on that. There's a lot of amazing footage and information. And what was interesting about Randy, like he, he was a really nice guy, but he kind of took responsibility for some deaths that had happened in police and military type people because of the misuse of his inventions, ammunition, the way mm. people had trained with it poorly, they had gotten themselves killed. That'd be a hard thing to- Yeah, man. Yeah. Where on time. your 
conscious. Yeah. And mm. like simple things that we would do in training, right? So like you'd be, you know, you have to replicate a battle casualty, right? So like in training, you'd be doing a, like a training assault on something and then they say, okay, you've been shot, right? And so then you have to stop and no longer be a part of it. And then, you know, your team has to come over and treat you and that sort of thing. And it's because they want to introduce a variable, like a battle casualty that you have to deal with. So you're used to training with that. But what they realized was you're teaching people that once you've been shot, you're out of the fight. And they had guys who are like, oh, I'm shot in the leg. And it's like, they sit down and they wait, like I'm out. It's like, Mm. no, (laughs) you have to fucking continue. Right. Like the fact that you're shot because in training, they was like rehearse that you're hit, you're out because we want to then create the assault was really not the objective that we're doing. The, The really objective of the training was dealing with the battle casualty. Right. So now all the focus is on that and people would get shot and be like, oh, I'm out. Like I'm, I'm done. Someone has to come take care of me. It's like, no, mate, no one's fucking coming. Mm. One of my mates, I won't sort of say his full name, he's still in the army, but he got shot, obliterated his femur. He now has a, a cadaver femur. It's, it's, it's actually fucking amazing. So he got shot in the femur. It never exited. It ricocheted up and tore his whole guts apart. He took probably six rounds in the chest and maybe two in the head into his plate and helmet. Right? Holy shit. Yeah. And so when the round went into his leg, it like lacerated his whole sort of abdominal. So he couldn't move. He was completely collapsed. He called his own fucking medevac in, right? And because he was a team commander, his team left him because they had to go win the fight, right? Mm. And so he called his own, it's called a nine liner. It's like the way you call in a casualty. And there's a part of it where you say like the call sign of the person who's calling it in and the call sign of the injured person. And when they radioed back to him, they're like, you've made a mistake you've given your call sign twice. And he goes, no, it's me. And they said, well, how do you have a possible gunshot wound to the abdomen and a possible gunshot wound to the head? He goes, because I can't fucking move. I don't even know what's happened to me. Right. He goes like, I know I'm slunched over and I can't move. And so he's like, that's how, what a tough gun he was, but that's from practicing that. Mm. Right. Like he, you can't get any more. I just swore. <laughs> you can't get any more adrenalized than having been shot in combat multiple times and are completely incapacitated. And the only thing you can do is call in your own medevac. Mm. That's as adrenalized as you can get. Yep. But it was because we completely, well, I mean, he's the toughest dude I've ever met, but also it's completely changed. Like you're in control of yourself. You have to fight this all the way through. So the reason I go through all that and bother explaining that is like, you have to rehearse that you train the way you fight. Yep. And it's the same way. Like if you're going to rehearse in dog, like breaking up dog fights, like you can't, there's can never be a moment where you go, well, if it was real, I would do this. Like, mm. no, treat it yeah, like it it's fucking play out real like now yeah. because you will do, you're not going to be in control when, when you're walking down the street, happily having the like time of your life and the world is rainbows and fairy farts. And the off-leash dog comes running down and nails your dog. Mm. So your adrenaline goes from zero to hero in an instant. You are not going to be saying, oh, well, here's my opportunity to do a thing I've never done before and never thought about yeah, doing that's right. before. Or you're, when you say, no, this is what I do in real life, you don't know what the fuck you're going to do in real life. You have to practice it. Well, I'll tell you what people do in real lives. They go fingers and mouths straight away. Yeah, or up their ass. Yeah, or up their ass. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Certain world-famous dog trainers have done exactly that. Yeah. But, but so that's the point. Like you have to rehearse this stuff and rehearse yep. it in a way that is real, right? And that's why, you know, we've said it a hundred times on the podcast is why I think that most people who are, you know, if you're ever going to deal in aggression dogs, you should get involved in a bite sport community so Mm. that you can see dogs biting and get time in practice. Feel what it feels like. Yeah, and get time in practice of being on both ends of that leash. Like I had a lady, a client recently was terrified of the idea of her dog being, there were lots of off-leash dogs and blah, blah, blah. She's always asked me, what do I do if a dog 
uh, attacks my dogs. And I was trying to explain to her how you would choke your dogs off and mm. blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'll bring Remy over. You can choke him off because he ha- I have a dog. Like I can put him onto a bite. Like I can put him onto a sleeve and he is a dog who has, who will let you choke him off. Right. Yep. Like he's a dog that will accept that and you can go through and practice it and practice it and practice it because I tell you, it, you don't happening with any finesse the first time you do it, mm. even when that's in practice. So there's absolutely no fucking way it's happening with any finesse. Another time you do it when it's, like when it's real and it's the first time yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, accepting that, but then like the, the other part of what you're talking about, we sort of went on a big tangent that's okay. here in my fucking, my mad war story. That's fine. It's not even my story. Mm. That's all on video, by the way. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, the point is your dog is not in control of itself. That's right? right. So when he gets attacked, then. yeah, when he gets attacked, he's in a fight for his life. And, and the thing is as well, like a lot of us, we see these dogs and, and the, the training that we get is on dogs who are solid in doing that, right? So like I say just then with that lady, I say, you know, you can do it to Remy. I know he's not going to bite you, right? And so he doesn't even look. If he's biting a sleeve and like, so I'm wearing the sleeve and I let her choke him off. Well, he doesn't give a fuck what somebody's doing coming up behind him. And then especially people who are involved in like areas of dogs where there are likely to be more fights, there's probably going to be their game dogs. So they don't care either. They're mm. only interested in fighting. Your dog, who's now getting attacked, he's got no skills. He's going to be panicking. He's going to be fucking chomping on anything that he can find. Yeah. And if it, that's you at the time, you can't take that personally because he's just fighting like he's, you know, it's this is reflex. Yeah. Yeah. And in those circumstances, you know, people p- will push their mother in front of a train. If you like, if you have not trained for that situation, your mm. body will just do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. Yeah. Right? It, it's a situation I often explain to people when I did my rescue divers course, long story short, A drowning person doesn't see you as the person coming out to help them. They just see you as a floating bit of wood that they need to get out of the water. Mm. So it doesn't matter if it's your mother. You know, like you can't go over there and she'll just go, oh, thanks, darling. I'm glad you came. She'll be so panicked that when she grabs hold of you, she'll pull you and her underwater and you both drown together. So you've got to understand in those sort of situations, you're dealing with the reptile brain. You know, the logical brain has disintegrated. It's flown apart. There is no rationality there. It's pure right down to the core group of behaviors in your brain. And that is the survival technique that you're going through. So as you said before, you know, in those fighting situations, you think you're fighting for your life, you know, so anything can happen. Well, and this is the thing as well is in those situations, the attacker is probably not in that same mindset, right? It's the attackee. And so this was one of the interesting things that I, again, got from Randy when I was the only, well, me and one other guy, the army guys and the rest were police. He goes, you know, this doesn't so much apply to you guys because you go go out and get in fights, right? You don't just find yourself in them. Being ambushed is a completely different thing versus mm. going out and finding it. And it applies 100% to dogs. Ivan have a really good video about personal protection dog versus a sport or a police dog, which is an interesting topic to discuss, right? Because there's a difference in the temperament of the dog. Yeah, somebody and, asked that question on on the group as well. Yeah, and so like one can be trained to be the other, but here's mm. the thing, like when you're startled, whether you go forwards or backwards and all the things that can happen in between. Mm. Like, so, you know, as dog trainers, we kind of talk about, oh, it's fight or flight, it's fight or flight, fight or flight. There's so many other fucking things. Like what mostly happens is freeze, Yeah, right? And people have been, people have frozen plenty of times and not even thought about it. When they're, when you're in a bar and a bar fight breaks out next to you and you just go like, oh, what fuck, do I do? right? That's yeah. freeze. That's yeah. you doing nothing. And it, it probably, freeze probably is a lot of the time 
selected for as a genetic trait in because maybe the threat wasn't for you. If you were always assessing everything as a threat and yep. you fight or fought, you would get you find yourself in situations that were not a problem and you created you one. You don't attract attention. You're yeah. not seen. You become invisible. That's right. So yeah. freeze, That's why rabbits just freeze in Exactly, right? So freeze is actually highly selected for. So that's yeah. actually probably what happens a lot more. People freeze up and mm. you just think, oh, I did nothing. No, you could have done nothing, yeah. right? You froze. But anyway, what happens at that first stimulus is outside your control and you are who you are. There, mm. There's no training. There's no changing that. No amount of training will change it. Like take, for example, again, I'll sort of like stand by for a hardcore worries. Like <laughs> I know myself, I'm a, I'm a fucking flighter. Like, man, I run fight or flight. I, when I get startled, I'm a giant flincher. I scream and go like, ah, right? <laughs> that's who I am. There's no yeah. changing that. That's genetic. I can blame my parents over that, but yeah. that's it. That's who I am. But then half a second later, my cognitive brain can kick in and I go, okay, I'll, I'm trying to do with this. This is fine. Right. Yep. But my initial reaction is what it is. And when you talk about like, you know, police and military type dogs and sport dogs versus personal protection dogs, personal protection dog first instinct has to be to fight, yep. right? If he's going to be successful in that role. And there's a lot of police dogs that would be total curs if they were ever jumped, but they're never going to be jumped mm. because they have all the precursors that build up to the fight, right? So the sirens go on, they go yep. to the place, they track, they know. So I am the build up, it starts. It, yeah, they're hunting yep. someone, right? Mm. Like I'm going to hunt you down and when I find you, no matter what you do, to me, I'm going to attack you, yep. right? But a, a personal protection dog has to be sitting here with you under, like right now, sitting with us under the table here. And when suddenly you- Expecting you, the unexpected. Well, but, but even being able to relax, because otherwise you're going to burn him out, right? Mm. Like if you've got a dog that's always on edge, yeah, he's going to make a good protection dog, but he's not going to last long, right? And he's going to bite plenty of people that shouldn't be bitten. Mm. The dog has to be from his totally relaxed state- when he is startled, choose to attack immediately, yep. right? And and no amount of training is going to change that. He might flinch a little bit and then come forward and that would be a different dog, right? Mm. Versus one that just like, when I'm startled, I go forward. And there's that's a genetic trait. There's no there's no change in that. And the same exists in people. People are the same. You see some people, there's an awesome video that used to get around of a guy, it's like in a high school and they're pretending to interview him and it's like a Halloween thing and the guy jumps out of a bin next to him and startles him a mask. He punches him in the face. Doesn't miss yeah. a fucking beat. Yeah, he just, just turns ram. and lays him clean yeah. out. And that's what, like, that's fight or flight. He's got fight. Yeah. Right? Like, that's where that comes from. His mm. immediate response. He doesn't even flinch. He just puts the guy to sleep, <laughs> right? If that were me, I would have screamed like a bitch and my arms would have flown up in the air and then I would have attacked, right? Because it was be cognitive, right? Like, I once I realized, oh, okay, like, now I have to go forward. But before my decision-making process can kick in, I'm, I'm a runner. I fucking know who I am. <laughs> I'm not pretending I'm anything that I'm not, right? <laughs> but it's important to know that, right? And we know all this. We talk about it. The reason we go through it all is when you're walking down the street and your little cool doggy who's never been in a fight in his life, when he gets nailed by the dog who's coming down, your dog's in the fight for his life. But that other dog had intent. He might be in a fight for his life. He might intend to kill your dog. But he doesn't come in adrenalized like, your dog suddenly finds himself, he has the precursors. He mm. sees you. He chose to come forward. He comes flying and chooses to engage, whereas your dog just finds itself in that situation. And so that's why your dog will bite you in, in the attempts to try and break it up because he's just fucking doesn't know what the fuck's going on, yeah. right? He's just fighting. Yeah, the stop. rational world doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. And that's why you, you are way better in those situations dealing with the aggressor mm. rather than the one that's being attacked. Like you're better off – Instead of trying to stop your dog being 
bitten, you're better off trying to stop the other dog biting your dog. Yeah. That, that seems like the same thing, right? But like people want to try and get their dog out of the way and that sort of thing, pull your dog away from the attacking dog where you, you're probably safer at that time, probably, right? Because we don't know the exact situation of anything, but probably safer to try and manage the dog who is the attacker yep. because he has intent to get that dog, not you. Yep. And if he got you, then- you deal with that situation, but he had a choice if they came together and he didn't go for you, he went for him. So go, the dog who's trying to start the fight is the one that you should be trying to manage with. Yep. But it's a shit situation. It, it's a terrible situation. And the hard thing as well is, you know, and certainly this is what I've had, I've done both is when you get bitten, whether you, your first instinct is to try and pull away and that's going to cause another bite and cause more damage. The mm. hard part is, you know, choosing to lean into it and go, all right, I have this set of holes. I don't want any more. So I'm not going to do anything to bring on more punctures and I'm not going to give the dog a reason to bite me any other places. Mm. The difficulty also, you know, as we've explained is that we're looking at this situation through the eyes of professionals. And a lot of times when people are dealing with it, they're not that, mm. you know, they're at best good dog handlers who have never been in those sort of situations before. And I paraphrase a quote that I love of Mike Tyson's that says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. It's one of my favorite all-time quotes because I think about it and I reference it quite a lot because there have been times, well, look, to be honest, there's been times where I've punched people in the mouth before. Oh, you know, Glenn, Well, you they had thug. it coming. Well, it, I'm just saying it's just <laughs> there have been times where people have been, you know, like pushing you to a point and you just go whack and they look at you go, some people, like you said, will turn around and they'll go, oh, well, it's a fight. And other people go, oh, why did that happen? And they'll just look at you with a like a, yeah. a look of disdain like or complete shock. I knew a guy who was a debt collector and mm. not like a, I'll ruin your credit creating sort of debt collector. Like yeah. I'm coming around like the a proper, house to get the money. Yeah. And I asked him about it. I was like, you know, how did you go with that? He goes, what I used to do was the moment people opened the door, I'd jab them on the nose, right? <laughs> the second, like no talking, no nothing, just a straight shot jab to the nose. And he goes, not that hard. Like I don't actually want to like injure these people, but yep. I have to gain the upper ground. He's like, yep. I'm, I'm a, I like the shock of capture. I'm, I'm, you know, what do you call it? Gaining the initiative, mm. right? He's like, I'm in control of this situation. Just a straight shot jab to the nose. And, and I was like, does that work? He goes, yeah, nine out of 10 times. No worries. Like he's jabbing to the nose. He goes, most people have never been hit like that straight. They, they go into shock straight away and yep. you've got them. And he goes, I know whether they've got the money there or not pretty much instantly. Yep. I go, what about the other one out of 10? He goes, mate, run. I just try and get to the car. He goes, because they will fucking demolish me. If I jab you on the nose and you go, and I don't own you. And he goes, I know the second I make contact, I'm looking in your eyes as I yep. do that. He goes, I know the instant I hit you, if you're, one of those one out of 10 <laughs> yeah. and he goes, I am just trying to survive at that point because I will be fucking murdered by that person. Yep. And he was like, it's worth my risk because <laughs> he did that job for a long time. Yep. But he goes, the fight is over. He goes, I'm not interested in fighting that person because they are going to tear me limb from limb. Yep. I just try to escape. Right. And that's, but that's a genetic trait. Oh, but also that could be conditioned. Like mm. enough people, you get people who have been in enough fights go like, oh, this is the trigger. This is the activation signal for yep. fighting. Right. Like I got it. But if you've never had that, it's a stopping signal, not an activation signal. Mm. Oh my God. We've been around the bend. We now really have, about haven't fighting. we? Now we're talking about beating people up. Oh, you are. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. I'm, 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 I'm peaceful, man. No, I'm peaceful too. Yeah. I, my philosophy in life, even then, is live and let live. Mm. 
You know, I'd rather rather have a good life than a complicated one. But I think sure. it is worth understanding that kind of thing. I don't even know whether we've answered her questions and we're running out of time. But I think that, like, that's the gist to me is if and when you get bitten, if you're in the dog industry as a professional, you are going to get bitten. That's that's going to happen, right? There, and, there, there, and if you own a dog at some stage, you know, I mean, your, your dog will bite you whether it's in play or whether it's a warning or it's a serious bite, you mm-hmm. know you will get teeth on you from your dog. And most of the time it's play-like behavior, but occasionally people are going to get bitten. And there is 101 reasons why it may have happened. And each case is unique. And this is why sometimes, you know, you really need to talk it out with people. What happened? What did you do? Again, you know, like I talk about aggression being the onion, I talk about being bitten like a homicide. You know, you've got to interview all the parties involved in it because a lot of people see different things as well. The way that you see it is very differently than what your partner saw it. And sometimes, not to cause fights between the two of them, but I just say in situations where there were more than one person who saw the incident, I like to ask people their recollection on what actually happened. Because again, when you're being bitten, you're being adrenalized. If you weren't already, you've got cortisol rushing through your brain, which is affecting your judgment and your clarity on the matter. So other people who weren't in such a an adrenalized cortisol cocktail going on in their brain, they can actually sit there and give a more rational account of what happened. So I mean, I've had partners arguing with each other in the lounge room when I've sat down. Yeah. I said, look, guys, I didn't come here to cause a rift between the two of you. And Can you guys I said, get divorced after I leave? Please? Yeah. And I've said, there, you know, like it, there's no right or wrong answer in here. All I'm trying to do is is work out the puzzle because I say to them, this is like a homicide. Yeah. You know, I said, there's a chalk line on the ground. I've got to work out how it got there. So we need to go through the strategy and the steps of what we're doing. So it's not for you guys to beat each other up now or when I leave. It's just to say, what did you see? Because we do see things differently. Even the way that we see ourselves, like we can have an opinion of ourselves and other people will say, well, that's not what I think. And you'll ask another person and that's not what they think either. So really we've got to try and get to the common denominator. Even just working out general obedience sometimes is just getting to the common denominator of what the problem is and how to resolve that with as least conflict as you possibly can. Yeah. Knowledge is power, man. Absolutely. Yeah. If you've had the the wind knocked out of your sails, power is what you need and yep. understanding how it got to that point. That's yep. the main thing. And just get voided again in the future. Yeah. Like if you can, every dog bites for a reason, there's a reason everything happens, yep. right? And you've got to then analyze the situation to the point where you understand the reason and don't put yourself in that situation again. And that should be it for you, right? Mm. And so really getting to the bottom of it. There are people out there who are cautious of it. And I would say, Think about it for a little bit of time. You know, don't shy away from it completely. I would suggest that we would get Birdie on and she will talk about this in a little bit more detail about the psychological effect that it would have on people because that's not my bag. I don't want to address issues that I'm not qualified to speak on. But what I will say to people is if you really feel like it's time to exit the industry, like if you've, you've been sitting on this fence for a long time, maybe listen to that it might be time to just say, look, I'm just not confident to do it. Because I wouldn't say to people, just ignore that feeling and just lean back into it again if if you really have got serious doubts about it. Yeah. Well, we're dog trainers. It's behavioral science, right? So That's it's right. like you can desensitize and counter condition or you can flood. And yep. a lot of people just go like, that. get back on the horse. That's flooding. Yeah. Right. When people like my kid fell off his bike the other day. So get back on the fucking bike. Yep. Right? Like that's flooding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if it's a significant enough event, you say like, okay, we got a like minor exposure. Yep. Now like, okay, don't deal with any dogs like that. Just do some pet pet, like basic obedience stuff and yep. build yourself back up to it. And, and for everybody, it's a different 
approach, but it's the exact same thing we would say with the dog who's scared of the man in the blue hat. Yep. We're either going to flood him and that can work and it can fuck it up completely, mm. or we can go slow and steady, systematic, desensitization, counter condition. Mm. Right? It's, it's, it's one of those two paths. Quick one before we wrap up. I had to go and medicate a dog in the kennel the other night who's on 12-hour medication cycles. Mm-hmm. And the girl said, oh, he'll be fine, you know, just go and give him medication. Now I've met the dog before. It took me an hour to get the medication into this dog. Like this dog needs this medication. It was getting to a point where I was going to say to one of the girls, you're going to need to drive out here and give it to him because this dog went fucking crazy when he saw me. He shit himself. It was yeah. completely fear-related behavior. But because he's in a small kennel, he tried to bite. He, he was jumping all over the place. He was springboarding off the walls. So long story short, what I had to do was I had to come up with a better strategy of how I was confronting this situation because I put the food in the bowl, walked away. He wouldn't eat it. He was just so scared and adrenalized he wouldn't take the food off me. So I changed the location of the food. I took it out of the bowl, put it on his bed, still wouldn't do it. Long story short, he was in with his partner dog who was in the next kennel because they need to be separated from each other at night. Went in through the back of the kennels, opened the larger area up and just let him run around in there. And I just sat in there for a period of time. So I was probably in there for 20 minutes. After a period of time, the dog calmed down. He desensitized to me being in the room. I didn't do anything. I just basically had the food in my hand cup behind me. He walked over to sniff me, saw the food, took it, ate it, and I just walked straight out. Yeah. And that was the the end of the situation. Had I have approached that differently and tried to force myself into that room, that dog would have definitely bit me. Yeah. Absolutely would have bit me. He took quite a few shots at me. And this is not a dog that is normally an aggressive dog. Yeah. So in that situation, that situation man dictated it. turning up at after dark with food in the hand, he just thought, well, this is a situation I've got to defend myself in. Mm. But you could see the, the look in the dog's eyes. Like he had a thousand-yard stare. He, he looked like two giant pies hanging out of his head. And I knew straight then, I thought, ah, this wasn't a good idea. I should have met the dog during the day. Yeah. That's so important to understand, like, a dog is a different being in a different situation. You get that from so many owners. Like, he's never done that before. Of course. He's never been here before. We've never put him in that situation before, right? right? Like, he's never been so fucking scared in all his life. That's what's going to happen. You would do the same thing. Mm. The next day, it was fine. Yeah. Different, Different story. I mean, I walked in there. He was a little cautious of me. Just did the same thing. Turned around, cut my hand, put the food in there. He just walked over, took the food out of my hand. I walked out. Yeah, perfect. It was fine. But again, you know, there's people who insist, no, I've got to get down. I've got to try and make friends with the dog in this tiny little kennel space. It's not going to happen. It has to be a strategy that has to change. All right, let's wrap it up. Yep, let's wrap it up. Oh, bounced all over the place. Yes, we did. Avery. Oh, yeah. Avery Keller. New design. New design. Looks cool, huh? It's got lots I of. I love it. We've rambled about so many topical things in the past. Avery was very excited to put together something that depicted what you and I have rambled on about all the. Just the nonsense. All the nonsense, all those little nuanced things that yeah. we, we talk about and people have taunted us about in the past, which has been all, all in good fun. And she put it together on a Teespring shirt for us. Yeah. So that's online now. Yeah. Go check it out. Go check it out. Look cool in our Mind Blown collection. Thank you, Avery. Really yeah, thanks, it. Avery. You're awesome. Jane's also doing T-shirts now. The Doggo Tunes They look ones. great. Yeah. People mm. will take those up. They check those really out. She's good. got her own Teespring store as well now. What's it called? Jane Stewart. It's, Jane Stewart <laughs> yeah. on Teespring. So yeah. just go into Teespring, yep. type in Jane Stewart. Yeah, or Doggo Tunes. Doggo Tunes. Yep. The yep. link's on our page. And if you do want either one of those artists too, Avery or Jane, you can ask them direct. They yeah. will do commission, uh, pieces. commission pieces for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. Yep. That's it. Another episode of the Canon Paradigm that bounced all over the place and spoke about a million different things. Yep. As the, always. The trampoline edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Does anybody do that anymore? Yep. 
Okay, good. Thank you. If you want to support the show, jump on to Patreon. Not enough. We could use more. Okay, please yeah. more. Yeah. Maybe if you listen to us on iTunes, just go on to Spotify yep. and give us a rating there anyway. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Right, we're, not? We're appreci- well, it helps the show. It helps our, yeah. our status. If you want to support the show, Patreon's the way to do it. Jump on to Patreon, three bucks a month, get you some extra content and, you know, you can pay as much as you like. Mm. Teespring, buy some of the cool gear that Avery has made for us. Really appreciate her doing that. Thank you, Avery. And if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is in the discussion group, the Canon Paradigm discussion group on Facebook. Uh, if it's of a personal nature, you're best to send us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. Mm. You fixed your button. I did. You? Yep. You ready right. for it? Yep. Wait, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> Go. Ready? Yep.